Good morning, everyone. Uh, one of my number one role models uh, in life growing up and still to this day um, is my mum. And if I think about why my mum is um, number one role model and, and how she demonstrated the Christian faith to me, um, I think one of the primary ways she demonstrated her faith was through relationships. So as a wife, um, she was always respectful, um, honoured my dad, uh, submitted to his leadership. Like uh, most husbands, all husbands, he wasn't perfect, made uh, many mistakes, but she continued to um, respect his leadership. She wasn't a weak woman. She was a, an intelligent, wise and strong woman. Um, as a mum, she was godly and patient. She trained um, me from a young age to read the word and to pray. In 20 years of parenting, I remember her losing her temper once. Uh, in the church, she was a willing servant. She was a defender of those who were slandered or gossiped against. Um, she was someone who took an active, active interest in people who weren't easily lovable or understood. And in the community, she was teaching RE in the schools. She was running youth program for kids at the church. Uh, she still greets any of her past pupils with a warm smile and genuine affection whenever she meets them, even if they've now got kids of their own, maybe grandkids, I don't know, but probably not. Um, she's someone who uh, loves people wherever they're at. And I, I actually don't know of anyone who has conflict with my mum. I don't know of anyone, any relationship in her life where there's not harmony. So as we think, um, you know, Ephesians 4, we looked at uh, harmony among the body of church, as we come to chapter 5 um, and 6, we look at harmony in Christian households. Uh, she remains a great example to me. And look, the scriptures that we've read, um, husbands and wives, parents and children, they're super relevant to me. Um, I'm a husband, a father, and some of you aren't husbands or fathers or wives or most of you would be, or all of you have been children at some point. Um, most of you are not under your parents' authority in the household anymore. Um, you're adults. But if you're here this morning and, and maybe these passages don't speak directly to you as someone who's not married um, or someone who's not in a parent relationship, um, I'd still encourage you to think about ways you can support um, people who are married in the church, how you can pray for them, how you can hold them accountable, how you can encourage them. And I hope today will be a real blessing to you. So why is harmony in relationships important? Jesus says in John 13, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 1 John 4.20 we read, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they haven't seen. And so God's plan for human relationships is harmony. But um, as a result of the fall, God's plan for relationships has been corrupted. So that we see instead of love, care and nurture, um, there's hate, harm and neglect. Instead of humility and meekness, there's pride and arrogance. Instead of grace and forgiveness, there's grudges and resentment. Uh, instead of sacrificial and other-centred living, there's selfish and self-centred living. And today we're going to look at two other um, areas that are essential in God's um, model for relationships, which is that of authority and submission. Uh, and too often we see as a result of the fall that instead of authority, we have uh, domin domination or passivity. Um, people not leading as they should, people leading in um, aggressive and inappropriate ways, abusive ways. Uh, and then when we look at submission, uh, instead of God's plan for submission, uh, we see rebellion and rejection of all forms of authority. And so before we look into a couple of, um, and particularly today we're going to be thinking about um, men, men and women in marriage primarily, um, but as we look at that, it's good to remind ourselves of God's plan for uh, authority. You see, authority isn't a product of the fall. Um, authority is God's ordained order for creation. And if you want, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. 
Otherwise you can just listen. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. In the garden before the fall. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Because we might be tempted to think that authority is somehow only necessary because of the fall. Uh, Sin came, so now we need hierarchy, now we need authority. But actually it's imprinted in God's world prior to the fall. Uh, And of all the things that you might say that being created in God's image means, the most obvious one is rule and authority. Uh, Let us create man in our image so that they may rule. It's the, the first phrase that's used. And so God's God's world um, is designed to have order, designed to have authority expressed in different relationships. And some of the ones we see in the, in the Bible expressed uh, up on the slide there, we see that God as creator uh, has authority over all creation, physical and invisible. He delegates that authority to the human race um, in particular in relation to the earth and animals. Subdue the earth uh, and rule over the animals. In, uh, after the flood we see God institutes governments and of course governments have authority from God um, over their citizens. We see that Christ has authority over the church. Um, elders have authority over the local church. Husbands uh, over wives. Parents over children and masters over slaves. All those are um, ordained by God with the exception of slavery. There is no um, biblical support for slavery, no suggestion that God supports or endorses it, but God in his grace um, gives us wisdom and and understanding um, how master and slave relationships should work. Of course, no one here um, is in a slavery relationship, um, but more more slaves uh, exist on earth today than have ever lived before. Um, 46 million people estimated to live in enslavement on the earth today. Um, So it's still very much a relevant situation for some of our brothers and sisters, um, if not for us. But it helps to see that there's a pattern for biblical authority. And I will give you some general statements um, that as you understand authority in the Bible, um, we see these... Uh, truths, if you like, or these patterns um, of how authority is expressed. So God has ultimate authority and all other authority only exists under his authority. Those in authority are called to understand and follow God's will in their exercise of authority, whether it be government, whether it be a husband, whether it be a parent. Um, All who exercise authority will answer to God directly for how they have used their authority. They will give account to him and he will judge, he will reward their use of authority. Um, in, in the Bible, authority is always exercised for the good and for the protection of those under authority. Authority is never exercised for harm. Uh, you might think of governments putting people in prison or executing a, a death sentence, for example. It's still being exercised for the good and protection of those under authority. In this case, it's um, someone who has... Um, found themselves on the wrong side of that authority. Uh, In the Bible, those in authority have responsibility for biblical correction or discipline of those that they have care over, again, for their protection and well-being, and in the different contexts of authority, um, that correction looks very differently. Uh, And on this side of the fall, I believe that well-expressed authority uh, relies upon openness and accountability to others. Uh, Authority without accountability often lends itself to tyranny um, or to corrupt power uh, and lovelessness. 
So I guess that's a, a really helpful framework um, for me as we come to some passages that talk about authority uh, and submission relationships. Paul's emphasis is on submission. And he starts chapter 5 um, talking about walking the way of love, imitate God's love. In Ephesians 5.21, he says that submission is the framework for all Christian relationships. But I think for us in 2017, um, there's a lot of anti-authority messages. In Paul's day, authority was absolute. The emperor was unquestionable. Um, Today, so much of our media, so much of our music, so much of our um, press and media um, is anti-authority in its makeup. So I think it's helpful for us to understand that authority is God-given. It's part of his perfect world. It's it's been corrupted by um, the fall, but it's still in God's plan and will um, to have authority in human relationships and that um, we should submit to that authority as appropriate. So, of course, as we come to Ephesians 5, it's a, um, we've been through the rest of the book. We've seen the rich um, foundation of truth that we're given. Um, if you look at Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Paul's message is the same. Uh, Christ is creating one new people under him neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave or free, young or old, uh, treated differently in this new order, um, this new humanity under Christ. And so they're all equal, uh, perfectly equal, created in God's image as, and as his image bearers, they share the same inheritance in the spirit, um, the same hope of future redemption, the same um, expectation of no favouritism, and um, fair treatment and justice before a holy God. But uh, equality of worth is not identity of role. And so Paul talks about um, gender um, as a distinctive in ministry, in the home, uh, that male and female have different roles despite being equal in Christ. They have different roles. And so to our modern ears, submission or subjection sounds like oppression and inferiority, particularly if we talk of male authority over females. But the most powerful example of submission and equality is Jesus Christ himself, who submitted to God the Father despite being equal with him, who said, I don't come of my own authority, but I come of the Father's authority. I do nothing except what the Father has sent me to do and and say. Likewise, the parties called to submission in this passage are no way inferior to those they submit to. Wives are completely equal co-heirs in Christ with their husbands, both equally created in God's image and of equal worth. Similarly, children are equal with their parents in Christ and in worth, and slaves are equal with their masters. No distinction in their equality or worth. So while this passage contains distinctive roles and responsibilities, it's worth acknowledging the foundations of love between all Christians. So if we read a passage, Philippians 2, 3 to 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is given to children, this is given to parents, this is given to husbands, this is given to wives. And so we have this amazing framework of common truth and common commands from the New Testament of how we should live, how we should love uh, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, be completely gentle and humble, bearing with one another. We're to humbly consider others more important than ourselves. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, we're to follow God's example, walking in love, the same sacrificial love that Jesus showed. Later in chapter 5, we see that husbands specifically are called to this um, sacrificial love of Christ, but already in Ephesians 1 and 2, um, all of us are called to that same love. And then leading directly into our passage in Ephesians 5.18, it says, as we're spirit-filled, and the other, the other verbs here are conditional on being spirit-filled, you'll be worshipful, thankful, and submitting to one another. And so we see that reflected in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That doesn't diminish or negate um, the distinction 
uh, in the examples of submission that follow. It doesn't mean that um, parents should submit to their children um, in the authority of the children's instruction. If my two-year-old tells me, Daddy, stop it, or Daddy, I'm not going to bed, you go to bed, uh, I'm not going to submit to that. But I still seek to be humble with my children, to graciously submit to them in Christ um, by serving sacrificially, by loving them, by putting their needs and interests above my own. So this um, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ becomes an underpinning for all Christian relationships, including the household ones mentioned. And then Paul goes on to expand on um, what that submission might look like in in three distinct examples, being uh, husbands and wives, parents and children, uh, and slaves and masters. Slaves and masters I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. Um, Again, not many of you are in that situation. Um, And I'm not not going to spend a heap of time on parents and children either. Uh, Most of the children have left. um, But we do, as elders, look forward to hopefully bringing some um, parenting courses and training maybe in the next 12 months. Um, We see that as an area that could really bless the church and also the the families that the church interacts with. Um, So today I'm I'm going to focus on on marriage, husbands and wives. Again, if you're not a husband and wife, don't go to sleep. I think you can um, benefit and you can bless others by understanding marriage better, understanding what married couples are called to and and what they might be going through. Uh, So up front I want to say that there's two main um, views about um, love and submission in marriage and how a man and wife should get along. Um, in more recent times, there's a, a view called egalitarianism. Egalitarianism suggests that all Christians are equal before God and in Christ. They have equal responsibility to use their gifts and obey their calling to the glory of God and are called to roles and ministries within society, church or home without regard to class, gender or race. So saying that um, gender has been removed from um, the roles within society, church and home. Uh, and then there's complementarianism, which is the, uh, more the view that I'll be presenting today and the view that I believe uh, to be biblical, which is that men and women can understand and celebrate the beauty of being equal in their value, yet distinct in their roles. Refining the harmonising roles of manhood and womanhood best epitomise God's original design as seen in creation the human heart will be most fulfilled when resting and excelling in these roles of male headship and female submission. Weakening biblically defined roles by following culture instead of the clear gender distinctive teachings of the Bible devalues God's creation design and will surely bring eventual devastation. And I've um, taken those summaries from two respective um, organisations that have those views. But As a starting question, uh, what was the first human sin after creation? Who wants to take a stab? First, pride? Sorry? Disobedience. Disobedience. Can anyone be specific? What was the actual sin? Sorry? Murder, no. In Romans chapter 5 we read that therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so it was Adam, something Adam did or didn't do. So when Eve offered him the apple, he followed her lead. So if you turn to Genesis chapter 2, Jude's Jude's getting very close, very hot, the fruit. Genesis 2.18 And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 3.6 So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And in Genesis 3, 9, a little later, the Lord God comes. He doesn't come to Eve, who ate the fruit first. 
He comes and says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And um, as I've reflected on this passage through the week, I've been quite sad to think of Adam there beside his wife, uh, having heard, heard and known the instruction from God, and Eve knew it as well, but he heard the instruction, Don't eat from this tree, for the day you eat of it you'll surely die. And Eve's hand goes up for the fruit, and here he is, um, tasked by God to protect and care for her, and he does nothing. He doesn't, I'm not saying he had to uh, stand in the way and say, over my dead body, Um, maybe he should have, but at least a hand to say, honey, don't doubt, don't doubt the goodness of God. Don't do this. But he did nothing. He's a passive manhood. And um, it seems that mankind's been doing it ever since, right? Husbands are either passive or domineering and not getting it right. But God's plan was, in the beginning, headship. Um, When Paul makes arguments about headship, he he talks about... uh, the biblical creation order. He says um, Adam was created first, then Eve. Um, women were created for man, not not man for woman. Um, but nevertheless, men and women are interdependent in Christ and that's coming from 1 Corinthians 11 uh, and 1 Timothy 2. But the controversial bit to the patriarchs of these passages um, that we're about to read wouldn't have been the submission of wives to husbands. Um, Wives were treated as property uh, in the Jewish culture mostly. Uh, In the Greek culture, infidelity was taken for granted. A man would have his wife and he would have others on the side. In Roman culture, um, wives and children, again, were property. Um, If you didn't want the child, you just left them out out in the forum uh, until they were picked up by someone to take them as slaves or um, into sexual slavery. So when Paul's writing, he's writing into a context of um, brutality where um, the patriarchs of the households um, had all the control. And I'm thinking a Roman husband who read this would be like, who's this Paul guy and why is he so soft? Why is he undermining uh, my tyrannical rule over my house? Um, But today, um, especially with um, gender definitions and gender fluidity and gender politics, um, for us, I think the controversial part of this passage is more around the submission of women to husbands. So I want to start um, in reverse order in the passage. I want to start with um, husbands and go back to wives. But I do want to say... Briefly um, talk a little bit more about headship. So for husbands, it says here in verse 22, wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. So what does it mean, and it says here, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. So what does this headship look like? Uh, In this passage, Paul doesn't define headship. He doesn't say where it comes from uh, and so on. So we have to look to other passages where he talks to headship, such as 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11 and so on, um, where he ties it back to the creation order. Um, But what does headship look like if you're a husband here this morning? Um, John Piper defines it this way. He says, Headship is primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection and provision in the home. And I, I like that definition. But... Uh, headship might be different and might work out differently in um, different relationships, different personalities, different um, cultures and so on. But I want to give you some dot points to think about men uh, this morning. And so I'm not stating these as, as gospel, but just as my um, thoughts, observations, and um, you can reflect on them. So I think the spiritual nourishment of your wife is your primary duty. Uh, This means sharing in the word and praying together. It means regularly praying for her. Uh, Prayers like the ones in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, great starting points. Uh, It means you'll faithfully love one wife, just like Christ. You'll be faithful to her. 
um, with your eyes, with your body, with your emotions. You'll be committed to knowing and serving Christ uh, and leading by your family by example, by being uh, committed to knowing and serving Christ yourself uh, and then seeking to lead them in that. Um, you seek to put your wife's preferences and needs before your own. What does headship mean? It means if someone has to be tired, hungry, cold or sore, it should be you, not your wife. Uh, when conflict happens, and it certainly will, uh, headship means a husband will seek to apologise first, listen well to his wife without interrupting, confess his sin and take the lead in humility, just like Christ. It means persisting in difficulty and showing strength in adversity. Men get sad sometimes, men get angry at evil uh, and men are tender and gentle with women. Headship means that you would put yourself in harm's way if necessary to protect your family. Headship means you seek wisdom from wise counsellors, including your wife. You generously and gladly listen to your wife's wisdom without feeling threatened and upset. I'm not giving these points because I do all these, by the way. I'm giving them to you because I want to, be, want to do them and, and try to. And headship means you die to yourself daily. How can I be like Jesus and die to myself for the good of my wife and my family? Uh, Christ gave himself up for others. In the power of his cross and resurrection, I'm going to do the same, come what may. Sounds tough being a husband, doesn't it? That's just headship. The uh, key focus of this passage to men uh, is that of unconditional love. So the story is told of a husband seeking Christian counselling. He says to the counsellor, counsellor, I feel like the love for my wife is gone. It's just not there anymore. It's like maybe we're housemates. Maybe we're more more like neighbours. And so the counsellor said, well, you know the Bible says love your neighbour. He says, you don't understand. She's, She's not the woman I married. She's like a total stranger now. The counsellor said, well, you know what the Bible says about loving the strangers among you. He said, no, you're not not understanding me. She tries to undermine me. She openly criticises me in front of others. She betrays me. It feels like she's my enemy. You know what the Bible says about loving your enemies, right? And jokes aside, it should be super obvious that a husband needs to love his wife, right? Basic 101... Uh, experience through various cultures and history indicate this isn't the case. Husbands have missed the mark an awful lot. We continue to miss the mark an awful lot. If you look in this passage together, verse 25, husbands love your wife. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their, their wives as their own bodies. Verse 33, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. Seems like uh, Paul's anticipating husbands to be a bit thick, so he gives it to us three times over. Love, love, love. Uh, It goes without saying, this is um, agapao, love. This is unconditional, dear, um, deep, love. A lot of Paul's Greek contemporaries talked about um, friendship, love for their wi- for wives, but not uh, deep, unconditional agape love. This love is persistent, it's steadfast, it's unconditional. This isn't Hollywood love that relies on warm feelings uh, and when the warm, fuzzy feelings are there or the relational compatibility is there, the relationship's great uh, and when it's gone, then we move on to someone else. Uh, this is the love of God. This is the love of Christ at the cross that went to the cross for us while we were still enemies. So love's not defined here, but it's worth reminding ourselves of that um, great love passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. What is God's love? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy husbands, it does not boast, it is not proud husbands, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, 
It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And from this passage, I think we're given this picture that as husbands, uh, we should picture our wife in the future on that great day uh, when they stand before Christ uh, in all his glory and radiance uh, and without spot and blemish, blemish, um, radiant with his glory, holy and righteous before him. Uh, Our job as husbands is to do everything in our power to help our wives become more like Christ, to prepare them for that day, to exercise their giftings and reach their full potential in him. The incredible powerful image we have here uh, in the passage is that in the same way that we're called to love our wives and be one with our wives, um, Christ loved his bride, the church, uh, and is one with her. Paul talks about it as a mystery. Um, So through our our spiritual, emotional and physical intimacy, we draw closer together uh, and as we serve our wives, we invite them to draw closer to the servant king that we try to imitate and mimic as husbands. So application, where does uh, all this husband love um, meet the road? Um, I can give you heaps of examples from my own life um, and for you it's going to look a bit different. Your wife's different to my wife. Um, they have different needs, different personalities. Um, my giftings are different to yours. But an example for me, Tuesday night I had an elders meeting so I got home a bit late. Um, I did a few of my normal tasks when I came home, um, taking the bins out and tidying up the kitchen floors and benches. Uh, so I was getting even later by the time I'd done those. I knew I had to get up at 5.45 the next morning because um, I had to get into work early. I was going to the bathroom, then I saw the washing machine full of wet clothes. I was like, I wish I hadn't seen that. The, sin- the sinful part of me. <laughs> so I thought to myself, hmm, Maz normally takes clear care of the clothes uh, in our distribution of labour at our place. That's, that's how the dust is settled. So I could leave them for her. Um, I've, done, I've done my normal jobs. But I suspect it's less comfortable to bend down, grab the washing, grab the, the rack and hang it out and hang out the clothes when you're getting in the later stages of pregnancy. So I made the decision to hang them out. Not sure if you noticed or not. Um, and perhaps this is a trivial example, but in my experience, a husband's contribution to harmony in the marriage uh, is made by a million, a million such choices to, to love or serve your wife uh, instead of being selfish. The choices to defer to the wife's preferences rather than uh, sticking my, getting my stiff neck out and saying, no, I'm not, I'm not changing my clothes before church or whatever the issue is. Um, the, the choice to listen to my wife's opinion about serious things and about trivial things, um, to be affectionate even when I'm tired or stressed or hungry. And as I think about my own um, role as a husband, I think there's so many areas that I'd love to improve in wish I was giving this message after about 50 years of marriage, but I haven't been chased by a broom-wielding wife yet, so... <laughs> um, I wish I could say in all these areas that I've um, set aspirations for you other husbands that I also um, did them perfectly. I don't. Um, I'd love to take more initiative embedding prayer and Bible time in our home, um, to be consistently kind and gentle with my leadership and not be harsh, Uh, and sometimes not be a good listener. I'd love to be less stubborn. I'd love to be able to surrender and defer in non-essential areas um, without even thinking about it. How can you be a better husband? Don't ask me. Um, You could ask your wife how you can love her better um, or what she feels burdened or stressed by that you could help with. Uh, You could ask her what areas that you could take more initiative in. I'm sure she'd welcome that conversation. Uh, If you're here as a a husband, um, I'd also recommend pursuing accountability relationships with other husbands who know what it's like to be a husband, who can ask you the right questions about your marriage. Um, I've been blessed by some of the men in this church um, offering that to me, um, not putting up with any nonsense 
from me, but um, asking me and giving me straight talk about marriage. So that's husbands. If you ask the question, is it harder for husbands to do what's asked in this passage or harder for wives? So far we've set a pretty high bar for husbands, so we'll see how hard it is for wives now. So wives, I wanted to start with a few quick word studies in the Greek. Could get Conniff here to just to take this bit for me if you if you want. No, um, we've got a, a few Greek words that are worth clarifying in here. So we've got hupotasso. Yeah, close enough. This word is a Greek military term. It's a word that's translated submit. Um, it it uh, represents arranging troops in a military fashion under the command of a leader. Um, it was used in in Greek civilian life as well, um, and in in that context, it meant a voluntary attitude of giving in cooperating, assuming responsibility uh, and carrying a burden. So it's biblical usage um, generally means to arrange under, to subordinate, to subject, put in subjection, to subject oneself, obey, to submit to one's control, to yield to one's admonition or advice, to obey or to be subject. The other word that's um, worth looking at is uh, fabeo. It's translated uh, respect in verse 33. Um, however, the wife must respect her husband. And this one's interesting in that um, everywhere else it appears in the New, New Testament 90 um, times. It's translated as fear, um, be afraid. But in this um, single passage, um, the English translation is respect. And I suspect they probably did that so that it wasn't misunderstood. Um, but this, this word, this um, verb, fear, expresses a full range of fear from um, respect and awe and reverence um, through to being terrified. So what, what context are we to understand the, the, the Greek word phobeo in this passage? Um, I think it's a similar one to Mark 4.41. Jesus has just calmed the storm on the lake and it says the disciples feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? This is a fear that is um, reverence. This is a fear that is respect. It's not that they uh, are in fear that Jesus is going to harm them physically. It's not that they don't um, trust him to look after them, uh, but it's a respect. And I'm not suggesting wives should have that same respect as the disciples had in Mark 4, but it seems to be um, something worth reflecting on that that word is used by Paul in here. It's also used uh, in another submission passage, 1 Peter 3, uh, where it talks about a non-believing husband seeing the chaste um, behaviour of his wife in fear, and it's this same uh, word, fear, is used, uh, this reverence and respect. So having clarified those words, um, I want to say six things that submission is not. And uh, I, I just want to read from the other a parallel passage in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, which also um, is similar instruction to the passage we've got today but brings some additional insights. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit to yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty shouldn't come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes, but rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So as we consider these two passages and think about what submission is not, I want to give you some of the um, following suggestions. Submission is not agreeing on everything. Uh, in 1 Peter 3 we see they're not even agreeing on their worldview, uh, their religion. 
the wife is pursuing Christ uh, despite her husband not pursuing Christ. Um, Secondly, submission doesn't mean leaving your brain at the altar. Uh, God created Eve with unique and complementary insights, thoughts and emotions which she brought to the relationship with Adam. So too our wives uh, bring those to us as husbands uh, and should bring those to the relationship and not hold them back. Um, Submission doesn't mean you do not try to influence your husband but you're perhaps some kind of doormat that just um, sits around and doesn't um, say anything that might be considered by your husband to be challenging or rebuking or offensive. Um, In 1 Peter 3, submission is a key way to influence the husband. It says submit so that you can win your husband to Christ without a word. Submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. So a wife submits to the husband for the Lord's sake But if she ever has to make a choice between submission to her husband and submission to Christ, it's Christ every time. That can be done in a gracious spirit, but the husband should be clear. He's not the ultimate authority in her life. Uh, Submission doesn't mean that you get all your spiritual strength from your husband um, as a leader. If we look at 1 Peter 3, the woman's not getting any strength or spiritual guidance from her husband because he's an unbeliever. She's entirely drawing her strength, her hope, her joy uh, outside of her husband relationship um, from Christ. And submission is not putting her hope or trust in the husband. The wife submits out of reverence for Christ. She puts her hope in Christ, not in her husband. So uh, challenging teaching for husbands, headship and and love for wives, um, challenging teaching for wives. Um, What's a wife's choices in response to this passage? Well, uh, they can reject their husband's headship, rebel against his authority. Uh, They can undermine him, they can fight against him. That's their first option. Uh, The wife could submit to the husband in word or action, but not really with her heart, uh, begrudgingly or complaining. Uh, making it hard for him to lead by not truly supporting um, but just not directly undermining. Uh, She could submit joyfully to her husband in all things as she does to Christ. Um, Is any of these things easy? No, they're not. Um, Does a husband love perfectly all the time? No, he doesn't. Um, Does sometimes he completely fail in love? Yes, he does. Uh, And similarly, when a wife um, seeks to submit um, out of obedience to Christ, um, she's not going to get it right all the time and she's not going to be willing all the time and she's not going to find it easy all the time uh, and she will fail. But the encouragement and um, instruction of Scripture is that she should seek to submit to her husband. So in practice, I'm not not a wife. I've got plenty of examples of... um, love and submission in our marriage and how we do it well and how we don't do it well. Um, What are some of the ways I can encourage you if you're a wife here today? Uh, First thing I want to say is um, enjoyed what Colleen and Betty had to share uh, earlier. and I want to draw your attention to um, Titus chapter 2, verse 3. The older women likewise um, should be revenant in their behaviour, not slanderers, not given to much wine, uh, teachers of good things that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, uh, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. If you're an older woman here, um, please take it upon yourself to encourage the younger women. It's not easy. Um, Being married, uh, where can they find key support for understanding um, how they can uh, love like Christ in marriage? They're going to find it from the older women who've uh, been there before them. Similarly, if you're a younger woman, um, seek that counsel from older women. Um, Seek that accountability, just as I asked the husbands to seek accountability from other husbands. Um, Seek to find um, other women who share um, your values, who share your views that can support you. Um, One of the definitions of submission I read... Um, is that submission is the defined calling of a wife to honour 
and affirm her husband's leadership and so help to carry it through according to her gifts. And I like that definition as well. Um, She's a co-heir in Christ. Um, She's been given gifts by the Spirit. She's been given um, her personality, her abilities, uh, and she brings them in full strength to the marriage. So some closing thoughts. The command to husbands here is not tell your wife to submit. The command to wives is not nag your husband to step up as a leader. Um, Focus first and foremost on how you can change. Don't get caught up uh, in the unprofitable game of reflecting on your spouse's deficiencies because it's easy to do. But if you're a husband here this morning, uh, go home thinking about how you can love your wife better. Uh, And if you're a wife here this morning, I'd ask you to go home and and reflect on how you can support your husband uh, and respect his leadership uh, better. The second thing I'd note, these commands aren't 50-50. They're not conditional on your spouse doing their bit. If you're a husband with a wife who is unbelieving, disrespectful or unsubmissive, God's word to you is unchanged. Love her, love her, love her. That will be extremely difficult at times. Uh, it's even difficult when you're married to a Christian woman who um, wants to honour Christ with everything. So it's going to be even harder uh, if your wife doesn't love God, um, maybe isn't a Christian, or doesn't want to follow um, these principles. But your job is to love her, not to change, not to change her. That's the Spirit's work. Uh, and if you're a wife with a husband who is unloving, maybe he's harsh, maybe he doesn't exercise leadership in the home, God's word to you is unchanged. Um, in 1 Peter 3, uh, the husband is an unbeliever. Submit to him, respect him, honour his leadership in your home. And I, finally, I want to touch um, briefly on um, abuse uh, and violence. It's an issue in our society. I remember living in a house once in Bendigo, one night of the week, all four houses around me were having um, big fights. So you'd go to this end of the house and they were having a big tiff, so you're like, oh, I think I'll go over there. They were having a big tiff. Uh, went over here, they were having a big tiff. The next morning, the police divvy van rolled up to one of the houses. Um, this is not funny. This is Australian society in 2017. Um, so I want to say really, really firmly, really clearly, that there is absolutely no biblical basis that supports a husband or wife who is abusing or harming their partner, whether emotionally or physically. And I've known uh, marriages where the people were supposed to be Christian, uh, where the wife was physically abusing the husband, uh, and vice versa. All marriages have conflict. All married people inevitably are hurtful to each other at some point, but that is no excuse for abuse or violence in the relationship. I just want to say, if you feel like you need help in this area... Now, please confide in someone in the leadership of church. This is not one of those issues where you're supposed to go, I'm just called to submit or I'm just called to love, so I'm just going to suck it up and ignore uh, what's happening. If there's someone, uh, perhaps one of the elders, uh, one of their wives, um, or anyone else in leadership that you feel comfortable with sharing, feel free to do that. We're certainly not professionals. We're not lawyers. We're not counsellors. But we'd do everything we could to help and support you. Uh, whether through prayer, mediation, accountability or connecting you to other professional services, counselling, legal, police, um, whatever's required. Uh, I think it behoves us in an environment where um, domestic violence is such a reality that we as a church are a lighthouse of standing against it together. So I just want to pray for us now. Um, I think it's a heavy topic. Please don't shoot me as the messenger. Um, I prayed about it, tried to uh, understand the passage. It's challenged some of my views studying it again. Um, It's challenged my uh, husbandship, if that's a word. Um, And I hope it's spoken to you as well. Um, I know it's not a politically correct message, uh, but I think it's one that we can um, take into our community, uh, take into our homes uh, and demonstrate God's plan for his world. Let me pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
Christ and his uh, sacrificial love for the church, that he gave himself up, came as a servant, emptying himself of all his divine rights to uh, power and authority and immortality, to die on a cross, to cleanse, to sanctify, to present his glorious bride, the church, as a beautiful bride without spot, without blemish. God, I pray you would give us as husbands that same vision for our wives, that we would tenderly love, cherish, nurture, support them to become everything that you want them to be in Christ, to fulfil all their full potential with all their gifts, all their abilities, all their personality, that we as husbands will be um, master students of our wives, we'll get to know them better, we'll understand them, uh, we'll become better at communicating, better at listening, so that we can love them the way you've called us to love them, as Christ loved the church. Father, too, I pray for wives here this morning. Um, Given the equally challenging task um, of submitting their will uh, to their husbands. We know this isn't to uh, take them away from anything that you've asked them to do or be, Uh, but it's challenging whenever we have to surrender our will or our preferences to someone else, Lord. It's not natural. It's only by the Spirit. We pray that the wives here can be encouraged as they trust in Christ, as they seek to submit to Christ and out of that um, also respect their husband's leadership. To nurture their husband's um, fledgling attempts at being a leader, at taking initiative, uh, and when their husbands fail, um, giving them the grace and encouragement and prayer support uh, to help them get better. I pray for all family relationships here this morning, Lord. Uh, Families uh, do it tough. Relationships are hard. Uh, Families are under stress and pressure. We pray that by the grace and power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill uh, each husband, fill each wife. For those who aren't husbands and wives, Lord, I pray that they can also play their part in encouragement and support for those who may become husbands or wives in the future. Uh, that you would be preparing their hearts for humble service, for love, for submissiveness, so that they can go into those relationships uh, and have a great impact for the gospel, for your kingdom, as they seek to live out your will uh, in your world. We pray all this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.